I've listened to Abandoned Luncheonette by Daryl Hall and John Oates for years. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. Everybody and welcome back to Spin It, the record ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James, and with me, the John Oates to my Daryl Hall, or vice versa, it's Connor. I feel like you're both Hall and Oates. Oh, are you the abandoned luncheonette? Who how, who are you? How do you fit into this? I don't know. It's just Hall was the lead singer, and you're like the lead of the podcast, and Oates did most of the writing of the music, and you're better at that too. So I don't really know where I fit in. Oh, feeling the mixtaper is Oates because he writes Factor Spin. I don't know where I fit into this. Mm. Maybe I am the abandoned luncheonette. <laughs> yeah, and with me is the abandoned luncheonette himself, Connor. <laughs> I'll tell you what, this is another week back to back where I just went out on a limb and, and picked an album. Yeah, with so much difficulty. Florence and the Machine. I mean, I was back and forth. We talked extensively about High as Hope and, and How Big, How Blue, How Beautiful. This time, Abandoned Luncheonette versus, I don't know, Voices, anything else. I was hung up on it for a while. I really was. But we'll talk about why I landed where I landed in a bit. But boy, am I excited we landed here. You like this era of pop music, right? Do you know a lot of Daryl Hall, John Oates? Are you asking if I like 70s pop music? Yes. It's okay. It's okay. Okay. It's weird how different this kind of pop music is to like modern day pop music. I know. It's like soft rock, almost like acoustic yacht rock, abandoned luncheonette kind of is. It's really weird. I am interested by your choice. <laughs> yeah. Well, Abandoned Luncheonette, I mean, it's not a record with a lot of hits like Rich Girl or, I mean, you name it, Maneater, any of the others. Yeah, well, Maneater was when I was surprised. Rich Girl and Maneater are two of the, I think, the main two Hall Notes songs I know. So seeing neither of those on this album was kind of a shock to me. Yeah. Out of Touch is another one I know. Interesting. I don't know if I know that one too well. And of course, I see you're already preparing for next year's Spencer Wonderland bracket challenge. You think? Because they have a great version of Jingle Bell Rock. Yeah, this could very well end up on our next year's spinter wonderland look we gotta take down whim but that's that's later <laughs> gotta get some more competition in there what do you know about daryl hall and john oates uh well one's name is daryl hall and the other one's name is john oates okay we're really kind of starting from square one here i know they met in a really fun way that i'm sure you have in this rundown somewhere uh-huh yeah and i say fun i just mean it's fun like a fun story i don't think it was probably fun in the moment but probably terrifying <laughs> yeah daryl hall and john oates they're a pop duo out of philadelphia prior to becoming one of the most recognizable duos in pop they were each doing their own thing they were in their own bands daryl was with the temp tones john was with the masters and together they were at a band competition in 1967 when there was a gang fight there shots were fired everybody was panicking and running around and i mean they're trying to run for their lives somehow they end up on the same elevator right meet each other and realize that they both like the same kind of music who's taking the elevator in a gang shooting you go for the stairs my guy yeah how serendipitous though that they you know met together maybe they were the only two on the elevator everyone else took the stairs they're like oh look at you yeah that's wild and you know they were both students at Temple University is what they discovered. So they're like, heck yeah, let's be buddies. Let's even be roommates. How about that? <laughs> roomies. Yeah, roomies. Their shared mailbox as roommates actually was the very first thing to deem them Hall and Oates. 
But be ye not fooled. That is not how they are known. That's not what they go by. They're adamant that they're Daryl Hall and John Oates. No, they're Hall and Oates. No, no, they're not, though. <laughs> that's, a, that's a misconception. Mm, they're Hall and Oates. I mean, practically, yes. But Hall says, the reason we've always insisted on our full names is because we consider ourselves to be two individual artists. We're not really a classic duo in that respect. That's what the and sign means. <laughs> You're right. The the and kind of does imply that they're two separate artists. I wonder how other artists like like Brooks and Dunn. I wonder if they kind of have the same sentiment. A band like the Beatles, right? They're obviously breaking down that barrier of individual artists, right? Because they're going by a group name. <laughs> yeah, or even something like Wham, where it is a duo, but they've got a group name. Yeah, like Hall and Oates implies two people. Yeah, it kind of does. And it's still, like, yeah, both their names. And it's way catchier than Daryl Hall and John Oates. Yeah, but that's how they've credited, you know, all their albums. You won't find any of them labeled Hall and Oates. Well, they're wrong. They themselves are wrong about their name. Yep. Well, you heard it here first. Yeah, I don't know when that gang shootout happened, by the way, but... At some time. When they were in college. Sometime in the, you know, late 60s, something, early 70s, but soon enough they were making music and landed a deal with Atlantic Records in 1972. Their first album was called Whole Oats, which is ridiculous. Like, come on, guys. Whole Oats? I I think it's hilarious. I like it. I like it too, but so silly. Give me an S. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It came out in 1972 to pretty limited success. They were kind of still trying to find their voice and their sound, come up with their niche. It was folky and it was poppy and a little rocky, but nothing was really too, too solid or set in stone. But their second record, let's talk about it, is called Abandoned Luncheonette. And the reason I picked Abandoned Luncheonette over anything else later on in their catalog You know, anything with, like, Rich Girl Kiss on my list, you make my dreams come true. Part of it is that those hits are all so spread out, right? It's kind of the Elton John thing, where a lot of their albums have one, maybe two giant songs that you absolutely know, Mm -hmm. and then the rest are maybe deeper cuts. And if that was going to be the case, I mean, this is an incredible record front to back. I picked this one up. Because a lot of people seem to think it was one of their best. This was the first Hall & Oates, like, full album I went for. And I was floored when I heard it. And I think people should know it. You know, because it made me appreciate their bigger hits even more. Because of this kind of deep dive. Plus, you know, I have heard songs from this album out in the wild. She's Gone's pretty big. When I was flying through the airport at Las Vegas, I actually heard Las Vegas Turnaround, which I thought was very funny. That's really funny. Isn't it? I know. I I bet they've had that on the playlist since 1973. But they set out to make this second album really find their sound. When they did so, they relocated from Philadelphia to New York City. Oates said, We felt like we were where we needed to be. We had high hopes. That space was one of the most amazing, exciting, and inspiring that I'd ever experienced in my life. We walk out the door and see Bette Midler, Aretha Franklin, Bob Dylan, Doug Sam, Led Zeppelin. They'd just walk in. It was crazy. Now I think back on it, I just wish I'd taken pictures. It was a very exciting time because we were at the epicenter of what was going on in New York at the moment. So that's really cool. I mean, what a space for them to be just up and coming in the music industry like they were. It's got to be big. They worked once again with... R.F. Martin, who had produced Whole Oats the year before, and John Oates said, Recording that album was where we learned how songs became records. Our producer, the legendary R.F. Martin, carefully crafted each song, every bit of nuance, bringing in the perfect players for the right moments, and it all worked together as one beautiful musical tapestry. In fact, they liked it so much, Daryl Hall calls the first side of this album magic. He says it's the magic side. How far does it go? Where's the cut? The first half of the album... 
It ends at, I'm just a kid, don't make me feel like a man. So you get She's Gone in Las Vegas, turn around, and had I known you better then, and when the morning comes. Okay. In reverse order. It was pretty awesome. Martin's influence actually would be very, very present, and the duo would draw from what he taught them when they started to produce their own albums over the next decade. So this is like a big stepping stone foundational piece for the rest of their career. It came out in 1973, and as of today, when this episode comes out, it's just a few months over 50 years old. It's that kind of soft pop with a bit of a folk rock edge. I think it's very, very listenable. I don't think you'll find too much here that's like abrasive. Yeah, no, it was really listenable. It was easy listening. Yeah. Maybe the most easy listening we've done since like Barry Manilow. Yeah, right. I know, and see, that's the other. I knew it would kind of appeal to some of your sensibilities in that regard perhaps maybe maybe well like whole oats abandoned luncheonette kind of underperformed out of the gate but it did turn out to be the most successful of their three albums on atlantic records it peaked at number three in the u.s and the single she's gone and las vegas turnaround both became minor hits like i said the the two that i've actually heard out in the wild (laughs) today though you know the band has taken off everyone knows daryl hall and john notes and a lot of people have explored the back catalog to find this album and stuff. So it's been certified platinum today for more than a million units sold, but it took a while to get there. Also a fun fact, Abandoned Luncheonette is a really good blend of like solo rights by each of them, but there are also two co-written tracks in there. So I think we kind of get a nice scope of their tastes and sensibilities. We get to see, I mean, since they build themselves so adamantly as separate artists, we get to see John Oates' work and Daryl Hall's work, and then we get to see Hall and Oates' work. No, 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 no. They don't exist. (laughs) No, they don't exist. It's just both of their work at the same place. So that's Abandoned Luncheonette. The rest of their career, you know, the the hit years were coming, and I kind of tried to keep this as a brief overview because we could totally come back to one of their albums with a bigger hit centerpiece later on you know who knows but after those first three records they move from atlantic to rca and they put out a self-titled album that's colloquially known as the silver album which has sarah smile on it a song that hall wrote for his partner and i think that's the same sarah that's the subject of las vegas turnaround which is cool it's an in-universe protagonist little daryl hall and john oates canon i'd love to fire that canon <laughs> yeah I'm sure that canon is on my list of the best things in life. Then came the album Bigger Than Both of Us featuring Rich Girl, their first number one single. After that was Voices with Kiss on My List, You Make My Dreams, How Does It Feel to Be Back, You've Lost That Loving Feeling. I've also scored Voices so far, by the way. It's on the ranking list. Then there's Private Eyes, They're Watching You, and I Can't Go For That, No Can Do. Just, you know, odds are very high we'll come back to one of those records if we do revisit them. Because that's like their golden age, right? That's the major Hall & Oates level stuff. But these hit singles and that unmistakable sound made them one of the biggest bands of the 80s. In fact, I was surprised to learn that the RIAA dubbed them the most successful rock duo in history in 1984. And it's still true to this day. I mean, a decade into their career, they were the most successful in history. And it's still true. How so? By album sales and certifications. Oh, okay. Yeah. And there was some tension in the middle of this, you know, like all groups have. Oh, no. Yeah. At one point, Daryl Hall sued John Oates after he missed a show, right? The usual stuff. Whoa. And at the time I took these notes, they were still going strong. Since the time I took these notes and when we recorded this episode, Daryl Hall, like, straight up filed a restraining order against... John Oates. Whoa! <laughs> when did that happen? Uh, it happened late 2023. But I think the case is like still sealed, so there's not a lot of available details. But from what I understand, it's because Oates tried to like sell some kind of majority share 
of the band's LLC in a legal fashion. Huh. I don't know. It's basically just to stop that from happening before it can get like reviewed or approved or something. I don't fully know. Huh. But Daryl Hall and John Oates maybe are on some rocky ground in 2024. They need a year of healing. They do. Yeah. Maybe this episode will bring them back together. Maybe they'll both see it and then be like, man, we got to stay together for the kids. Are we the kids? Yeah. Dad and dad. They can't get a restraining order yet. Two individual. No, no, no. Father, dad and father, dad, please use their full name. Yeah. If you just use part of their name with the word and makes them sound not like two individuals daryl quote dad hall <laughs> and john quote dad oats there you go yeah <laughs> he's only referred to them as that for the rest of the episode no i won't but i mean regardless of where the future takes them to date they've released 18 studio albums with 63 singles mixed in there their most recent record was a christmas album in 2006 but as recently as 2022 they did talk about making an album again that seems to be on a pretty indefinite hiatus but worldwide, they've sold more than 14 million records. Other accolades include five Grammy nominations, one as recently as 2009. They're also members of the Songwriters Hall of Fame, which they earned in 2003, and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which they entered in 2014. Plus, of course, they have a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame as of 2016. So that's Daryl Hall, and that's John Oates. And now it's time to get the mixtaper in here, the John Oates to my Daryl Hall. And we'll say goodbye to the abandoned luncheonette Connor for now, as he cheers me on silently from the sidelines. And the mixtaper tries to bamboozle me with potentially true facts or maybe lies about Daryl Hall or John Oates or both, but not at the same time. I'm going to cheer you on silently from the sideline, and he's going to bamboozle you loudly on the field. That's correct. Let's get him on out here. Mixtaper, are you there? Yodelay, yodelay, yodelay. It's me, the mixtaper. Ew. Are you yodeling? Yeah. Why? It's a yodel kind of day. What does that mean? It's just a good day for some yodeling. I'm. It, that's making me think you might have like a yodel fact coming up. Sure don't. <laughs> sure. Oh, you just you really just yodel to yodel. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad to see you in such high spirits. Honestly, Connor said I was gonna bamboozle you loudly, and I was like, "What's loud? Yodeling? I'll do that." Mm. And you were confused by it, so I consider this a successful mission. Yeah, I was and am. Well, all right, I guess our work here's done. I'll see you next week. Yeah. Wait, well, we gotta play factor spin. Oh, hey, uh, I'm back. I almost forgot. What do you got for me? No yodeling facts, but what else is on the menu? I mean, I could I could come up with something yodeling if you really wanted it, but I feel like that won't go well for me if I do that. No, uh, probably not. <laughs> Well, you were talking about lawsuits, so let's start there. Oh, boy. They sued a granola company. A granola company. Yeah. Hmm. I just, the oats puns are really endless. <laughs> are you cereal? They sued a granola company? <laughs> I can't even believe they would take a granola company in front of the bar. You finished? Probably. Probably not, but we'll see. I don't know. Once they're done suing granola companies, I mean, what's next? They're going to shred wheat? I regret coming back. Anyway. Sure. What granola company do they sue? It is called... Early bird. Early bird. I mean, that sounds like a granola company that gets the worm. That is one of the names of their granola. Oh, ew, the, the worm? G gets the worm. What? It's the name of the flavor. Oh, no, I don't want to eat gets the worm granola. Sorry, not a sponsor. <laughs> what? Why'd they sue this granola brand? It's extra fancy and crazy good granola. Sorry, that was just, that wasn't in reference to why they sued them, sorry. I, I, no, I was like, well, so? What? That's not standing for a lawsuit. Sorry, that was just in reference to you being like, why is it called Get the Worm? It's because extra fancy granola that's crazy good. Salty and sweet with dried apples and a surprise. Hopefully the surprise isn't worms. It sounds like it's a worm. But it sure looks like it's like maybe got gummy worms in it. Oh, awful. Anyway. Yeah, why the lawsuit? Yeah, the lawsuit. Well, because they have other flavors. Okay. Like Kiss My Oats. 
pretty funny. Okay, that's pretty good. <laughs> Chaka Doodle Doo. Nice. And Holland, like Holland stuff in a truck. Oats. Holland Oats. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Now, how did they approach this lawsuit being adamant that the name of their duo <laughs> is Daryl Hall and John Oates? How'd that go for them? That's a good point. That is a good point. I mean, if I'm a judge, I'm like, well, look, that's not what you call yourselves. That's not your name. Yeah. Well, but, I mean, to a certain extent, that is how they're known. And obviously, it seems like that's what the granola name is meant to evoke. I mean, I don't know. I'm just called Holland Oats. Because your breakfast, breakfast is on my Maybe list. she's supposed to invoke farm life. I don't know. Was it really, though? No clue. Why? What would they argue in their defense? No clue. Who won? No clue. It's unclear if the case has been settled yet. When did this happen? 2015. Okay, that's more recent than I thought. And actually, this article also says it's unclear whether Holland Oats has a leg to stand on. Due to their adamant naming structures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know what to do about that. They decided to seek damages in 2015. Damages? How damaging? I don't know. Um, I don't know. Didn't get a profit margin, used their name without their permission? I don't know. I think this is a fact. I think this is a fact. I mean, I started this fact off by saying there's a million oats puns you can make. And mm-hmm. sure enough, lo and behold, oats puns abound in this lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Lock that in for me. I'd like to lock that in for you. That is a true fact. True fact. Wow. Man, they, they really have been embroiled in some legal battles in the new millennium. Yeah. They, they, they're not afraid to push the lawyer button. No, I guess not. For their own benefit and against each other. <laughs> yeah. There's some intraband strife no inter inter intra i never know darn it inter is between intra yeah. is amongst there's some intra band we did this last episode on the intra chorus too yeah we can't get our interest straight well i hope they got that sweet sweet granola money unclear and i hope there are no worms in that other granola bar would you like to hear about ancient egypt doomsday or what left-handedness Wow, a real a diverse <laughs> array today. I'd kind of like to hear about left-handedness first. We'll kind of escalate here. Oh, okay. Oats is a left-handed. Left-handed? Yeah, is left-handed, yeah. Okay, that seems kind of normal. Is there a reason that that's extraordinary? Well, yeah, if you've ever seen a picture or watched a music video that has Oats playing the guitar, you'll notice he plays the guitar using his right hand. Does he? So he plays a normal guitar even though he's left-handed? Correct. Is he faking it in videos? <laughs> or is that just how he learned? Backwards? No, that's how he learned. Interesting. Why? What inspired him to learn backwards from his like inclinations? His teacher. Okay. Now, that either means his teacher was like right-handed and really good or insisted that he learned with the right-handed guitar or really really bad with a left-handed guitar and he said i cannot go down that road it's kind of the situation that like sometimes kids like when they're learning the right get you know the teacher like tries to force them to write right-handed even though they're left-handed oh yeah it's kind of like that he's left-handed but his teacher didn't know how to teach a left-handed person so he's like you got to learn it right-handed that's the only way i can teach you no way it's so much easier if i'm right-handed to look at someone holding a left-handed guitar because their hands would like just mirror mine i think that's suspicious what else does he do? Does he do everything else left-handed, like, correctly? I assume. What hand does he eat his John Oates with? John Oates Oates. He's actually a mouth Oates ear. Doesn't use any of his hands. It really just oh, gets into just it. gets in there? Yeah. 
That part's not true. <laughs> no, that's a lie. <laughs> to be clear. <laughs> so the only thing he does inverted like that is just play the guitar. Yep. I think this is a spin. A spin? What makes you think that? Well, I've never paid too much attention to which hand he's holding the guitar with. I don't know if I've ever seen the two of them performing together or even like in a music video. I'm hung up on this guitar teacher bit. I don't think it would be super difficult or really even any different to teach someone on a left-handed guitar. And... Like, they make left-handed guitars. Look at when he was learning. You know, Jimi Hendrix is a left-handed guitarist, and he was around in the mid-60s. I mean, probably after John Oates had learned to play the guitar, but still. I mean, left-handed guitars were a thing. I'm saying it's a spin. Lock that in for it. I'm, I'm locking in that it's a spin. This is a true fact. Oh, really? That's interesting. Mm -hmm. What's up with that guitar teacher? <laughs> Did not know. Yeah, I'll have to look out for that now in music videos and stuff. Yeah, no, I thought it was interesting. I'll, I mean, it's such a unique skill, though. I would guess if you're just starting, it's probably just as easy to pick up a left-handed as a right-handed guitar. Yeah, it's probably not something that really... It's like how some people throw a baseball with their non-dominant hand, right? Because it's not that much harder to learn it the other way if you've never done it before. Yeah, but like even that, I mean, if you're throwing a baseball or doing something with hand-eye coordination or like fine motor skill maybe your other half isn't as developed or refined so doomsday or ancient egypt i'm really curious about ancient egypt right now okay but i'm gonna ask about doomsday first okay oats is a prepper Ooh, a doomsday prepper this is a first for us sure is i've got so many questions such as first of all how hardcore are we talking? Like, does he have a bunker? Does he just have a lot of canned food? Like, what? what's the degree of preparedness? Yeah, he has a doomsday bunker located on his Colorado ranch. Awesome. When did he build it? 2009 is when this interview is. So at least by then. Wow. Okay, and, and why did he build it? For doomsday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I just mean like what kind of doomsday specifically is he anticipating? Is he like, you know, nuclear climate like asteroid zombies like where his where's his head at probably not zombie all right let's let's calm down here <laughs> i i honestly don't know what kind of stuff is in the bunker what's he got so the bunker is powered on its own gasoline engine he has enough gas food and water to f supply himself on his ranch for two years so probably not nuclear if he's planning to just stay on his ranch and not live down there, now that I'm reading this. No, yeah, maybe not. But uh, enough food, water, gas to survive in isolation on his ranch for two years. So I bet he did this during COVID then, actually. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he, I realized what you he said. He said it was in 2009. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's what he did. Interesting. He also apparently has alpacas on his ranch. Whoa. I wonder if he has enough food, water, and gas for them during the apocalypse. I don't know if they need much gas, <laughs> but the rest of it. <laughs> alpacas are pretty fuel-efficient animals. That's a really random fact. Doomsday prepper. This one feels like a spin. Like a spin? Hit me with your reasoning. My reasoning is just that maybe, I mean, we haven't had doomsday preppers before. And while it's not too outlandish that this could be true, I think maybe you went and found details about an actual doomsday prepper and just made that person into John Oates. Mm, lock that in for me. Um, okay, I will lock that in that this one is feeling fishy. I think it's a spin. Plus, we've had two facts already. So ratio-wise, I don't know. Mm, playing the odds. Just like John Oates. This is... A spin. Oh, yeah, it's a spin. No doomsday prepping for John Oates. He is unprepped. No, but he does. Him and his wife do have a small number of rescue llamas, alpacas, emus, and peacocks on the ranch. 
Whoa. Oh, he's got the Miley Cyrus emu fact would have been true about John Oates. <laughs> so did you just find a random doomsday prepper? And No, I kind of just made it all up. Oh, well, it was pretty believable. Found this article on his ranch and feels like a good place to have like a doomsday bunker. I actually kind of thought about like The Walking Dead and other like apocalypse style TV shows and movies where it's usually some guy living on a ranch that's got all sorts of supplies that the protagonist stumbles across. Mm-hmm. It's always the ranch ones. Yeah. He's actually, this article was written in 2017. I made up when it happened. And he, w- at that time, was selling the ranch. And they were planning to buy a smaller ranch somewhere else. So, I don't know. For a minute, I was like, you know, is John Oates okay? Like, he's he's a big <laughs> pop star, making lots of money. All of a sudden, they're suing everybody. He's in a bunker. He's selling shares of the company. There's a restraining <laughs> order. Like, is he good? But that's a spin. So that's great. And last but not least, we've got Ancient Egypt. Sure do. I don't know what this is about to be, but I'm excited for it. Daryl Hall owns an ancient Egyptian artifact. What kind of artifact are we talking? A piece of the hippo style in the temple of Amon at Karnak. Hypo style? I'm going to go with hypo style, not hippo style. Yeah. What is that? Basically, it seems like a piece of the wall from the pictures with like some hieroglyphics on it. Sure. That's interesting. Why? Does he have like an interest in ancient Egyptian history? He bought it and donated it to the University of Pennsylvania Museum of Archaeology and Anthropology. Oh, so he was just kind of the middleman of it for a minute? Yeah, and I think I would assume it probably has like donated by or on loan from Daryl Hall or you know, something like that, how most museums do that stuff. Yeah. Or maybe he just straight up gave it to the university. He doesn't actually own it, but he bought it. That's mainly what I'm getting to here. Sure. How much did he pay for it? $4 million. I should have made you pay that's that dollar amount. Darn it. What have I done? Um, yeah, for a minute I thought I might. $4 million. Wow. That's a ton of money. Yeah. How big is this artifact and how old? That's a great question. The temple itself, it was the principal religious center of the god Amun-Re in Thebes, which lasted from 1550 until 1070 BCE. That's pretty old. That's pretty old. And as for the size... Yeah, like it could be a huge chunk of wall or a small chunk of wall. I don't know. Look at the, It's a pretty big temple, so yeah, I don't know. Sure. What's it got on it? You said like hieroglyphics and pictures and... Yeah. Have they learned anything from it? The Philadelphia University people? No clue. I think this one is a spin. Ooh, you think I went fact, fact, spin, spin this week? Well, I mean, I picked the order... Oh, that's true. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, practically, I think that's how we've gone. Any reason why? I think this because I'm pretty sure on the wildlife episode just a few weeks ago, I mean, we talked about typing in emojis, didn't we? Or having an emoji keyboard that would be like hieroglyphics. <laughs> Did we? There was some episode where it came up, and I don't even know if it made the cut. I don't remember that, but okay. I don't, hieroglyphics just might be on your mind. They're not, but okay. Well, they are now. So you're going spin. Lock that in for me? I just think it's a spin. Okay. I mean, I'm going to lock it in. Well, your logic completely wrong, but this is indeed a spin. <laughs> oh, good. Well, yeah, I, I guess I should never count on you to have remembered much. That's not the first time that I've assumed you heard about <laughs> or knew something that you didn't. Man, your logic on both those last two was was nowhere near correct but it got you the points so well the bunker one wasn't so far wrong well it is one to tell you what i've done on these two spins oh yeah it's been a minute since we've had some fan submitted spins yeah it, it has been and so i reached out to some fans and said help me come up with spins 
that are like puns related to Hall and Oates's names. Okay. So the prepper one came about because that's the other thing I thought. I was like, what if he's got Oates like stashed away? Uh huh. That's exactly where I came from because Oates are one of the longest naturally preservable like foods or whatever, so they're great for yeah. See, so <laughs> I thought it, but I didn't say it in my <laughs> explanation. But I absolutely was like, hmm. Uh huh. He'd probably store a lot of grain in there. But I felt like we had made enough jokes about him, and I wanted to be merciful. Uh huh. And then a hypostyle is a type of hall predominantly used in Egyptian temples. Oh, you said it was like a wall. Yeah, a wall to the hall. Mm, okay, a hall wall. It's a hall wall. Yeah. A hypostyle is an interior space whose roof rests on pillars or columns. The word means literally under pillars. And the design allows for the construction of large spaces as in temples, palaces, or public buildings without the need for arches. It was used extensively in ancient Egypt, such as the Temple of Amon at Karnak. So yada, 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 yada. Well, there we go. That's interesting. Very fun little puns. Yeah. Didn't get me anything for it. No, it didn't. I didn't figure Daryl Hall would be too into ancient Egypt artifacts, even just to donate them like that. Yeah, I added that little detail. I went and was like, okay, they're from Philadelphia. There, I, I googled list of museums with the most Egyptian antiquities and found a Wikipedia article called list of museums of Egyptian antiquities. <laughs> Seems like an effective Google search. There was three USA-based museums in the top 10, which were Massachusetts, Boston, Massachusetts, Ann Arbor, Michigan, and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So I was like, oh, perfect. Oh, fantastic. They have over 42,000 artifacts. Wow. And none of them are from Daryl Hall. None of them. He's not making their dreams come true. Well, Mixtaper, that's a three and one for me this week. Yeah, three one for you. It's been a minute since you've had a win like that. We've had a lot of 50-50s and me taking the lead yeah that's true that was my first win of 2024 doesn't feel good i'd kind of gotten used to yeah my last my last win like this was the thanksgiving episode and the band wow yeah i kind of you know i'd lost my tolerance for defeat this one stings a little you're gonna have to get it back maybe by next week you'll be all set and cooking with grease and until then yeah so long mixtaper he came in yodeling and he left dejected I crushed his spirits today. Welcome back, Connor. Yodele, yodele, yodele. I'm back. See, now you're happy. Good. I've got you yodeling instead. <laughs> yeah, I was honestly a little worried about you there because if I had to guess right before you gave your answer what I thought you were going to pick, I would have been completely backwards. On what, the Egypt one or all of them? On pretty much all of them. Like You were sounding pretty skeptical of the granola one, but called it true. You seemed pretty into the prepper one. Between you and me, I think I already knew about the granola one. Oh, wow. Yeah, I couldn't clue him in, and I wasn't sure if he changed some details. So I was trying to get the full story first. How did you know that? I don't know. <laughs> it's another elevator names scenario. Yeah, just a random... It's Oats and Otis. <laughs> Gotta watch out. Well, let's talk about this album cover on Abandoned Luncheonette. Honestly, a very apt album cover for the name of this one. Mm -hmm. It is an Abandoned Luncheonette. Give me Haunted McBarge vibes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like we talked about on the Shins episode. Haunted McBarge that sunk in a lake was really weird. Yeah. It honestly kind of gives me... This is my only frame of reference, mostly, for like that kind of diner style. Like Dexter's Diner from oh. Star Wars. <laughs> but that's... A totally out of touch point of reference. Weird that that's where you go. I know. Well, so have you ever eaten in a luncheonette? No. A little like 
trailer diner. I haven't either, but I really think it would be fun. Not this one in particular. It's seen better days, but wow. It, it seems like a place where you'd either get the worst food or the best food you've ever had in your life. We haven't done a spin it on the road in a while. Maybe add a luncheonette to the list of possible locations. A luncheonette? Sure. Why not? This picture on the cover is a picture of the Rosedale Diner in Daryl Hall's hometown of Pottstown, Pennsylvania. I guess when it shut down, they kind of just threw it in the woods like it is on this cover. Wild. Yeah, I know. Talk about pollution, right? I feel bad if I accidentally drop a receipt on the ground. I have to go grab it even as the wind's like trying to blow it away. I have to run after it. Yeah, well, that's good. And then these people are just leaving whole luncheonettes in the woods. Like what? Just whole diners out and about. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That is a little egregious. Well, in 1983, they did decide, you know what, we better go take care of that. The owners in the city collaborated to just burn what was left of it. Oh! <laughs> yeah, so that was the fate of the Rosedale Diner. Pollute the nature and then burn it to cover up our pollution. Yeah. The photo was taken by Barbara Wilson. She was one of John's college friends. Sorry, did they come up with this song title before or after they found out about this luncheonette? Actually... I'm pretty sure that they knew about the luncheonette and that inspired the song. And then the song was such a hit that it inspired the album title. Yeah. Which inspired the album cover. So I think it kind of was a full circle. That's awesome. Yeah. I just how crazy would it have been if they wrote this song and then we're like, oh, we need a good album cover and they found this. <laughs> it was like perfect. In his hometown. Yeah. Wow. That's like a real the Beatles met next to an Eleanor Rigby gravestone kind of thing. Yeah. Didn't work like that. Initially. They just got permission to shoot the outside of the diner, but they decided, you know, we want to be thorough. We want a lot of pictures and we want to make sure we have like a back cover and a gatefold for the album. They broke in to the abandoned luncheonette. <laughs> they broke into the abandoned luncheonette and got into a fight with the owner because of it. They weren't supposed to be in there. Is it really breaking in if you've abandoned something like that? I mean... Like, if I throw out and abandon my couch in the middle of the woods and then somebody comes along and sits in it, I'm not going to be like, hey, get off my couch. <laughs> no, probably not. I don't know. But if you explicitly just gave someone to take pictures of your couch and then you came and found them sitting on it. Is he even really still the owner if he's abandoned it like this? Yeah, I'm not quite sure the situation, but it definitely doesn't seem worth getting into a fight over. Either way, the interior pictures look really cool. I mean, they hey, they love getting into legal debate is what I've learned. You're right. They started early. <laughs> this was the beginning of a long career in litigation. And actually, here's a fun fact. They took photos, but what you see on the cover isn't exactly a photo. Barbara Wilson stenciled and hand-colored the entire picture. Well, then why go get the photos at all? I think they took it in black and white and, you know, obviously be kind of a boring cover with black and white. So she just colored it all in. Why did they take it in black and white? Because it was 1973. I feel like colored photos existed by then. <laughs> I mean, they did. I just don't know if they had that available or what. Either way, it's kind of cool that it's hand-colored. It is cool. It really fits in with the vibe of like what's above and below the photo. Oh my gosh. The rest of the cover, I mean, is, dare I say, a bit of an eyesore. Well, it looks like it's like the side of the luncheonette. Yeah, it definitely has luncheonette vibes. And the name and the title of the album are written in what's meant to be like neon lights lettering. The lettering's a bit rough on the stripe pattern. Yes, it is. The, the black and the red and the white stripes. And there's some weird shadows on there that I don't quite get especially toward like the right hand side of the background i don't know why it gets all shadowy there but it is what it is i think honestly this album cover belies the album a little bit i don't think it makes me feel the way the album makes me feel it is just a picture of an overgrown broken luncheonette mood yeah and on the cover is a picture of connor uh, <laughs> 
Oh, well, should we talk about these nine tracks? Nah. It is a quick listen and probably a quick talk about, too. I mean, to be honest, we've got some real fun songs here. And it all kicks off after the night. When the morning comes. When the morning comes, indeed. This one was written by Daryl Hall. It was the album's second single. What'd you think? Definitely kind of interesting. Far cry from their eventual kiss on my list kind of stuff. Yeah. I like the way it started. I felt like the start of the album fit the tone that the album art. Like I felt like I was just wandering in the woods when this album started. When the morning comes, definitely, I get that. I like that. And it's, I mean, listen to the lyrics. I'm up in the air with the rain in my hair. I've got nowhere to go. I can go anywhere. There's that sense of wandering and freedom and nature built right into the lyrics. Yeah, I, I just got like a bunch of teenagers romping through the woods having fun. Yeah, except it's not a very fun song. No, it's not. It's about him being sad at night. <laughs> oh, that was before everything really kicked off lyrically. Yeah, he's sad at night about, you know, this person that's left him and standing out in the cold and getting old, but he's going to be all right when the morning comes, which is a great message. Not uncommon in songs we've talked about. Yeah. What did you think of that bit after the kind of chorus where they just launch into that super high falsetto? I like the falsetto. I do too. I think it fits the song honestly pretty nicely. Yeah. And I got to remind you too, while we're here, this is the magic half of the album. Yep. This first part. So I love that. I tend to agree with the magic. That's why I was curious about where you said it would end. I would say the magic ends at a different spot. I would too. I'm curious to see if we uh, had the same ending. Yeah, let's let's find out, I guess. But first, we must move onward through the guaranteed magic in Had I Known You Better Then. I mean, it's not guaranteed. What if I thought this is where the magic ended? Oh, well, that'd be <laughs> a, a bummer. Yeah. It's not. It's not? Oh, good. Still magic. Abracadabra. <laughs> I think Had I Known You Better Then is one of my favorites on this whole record, bar none. So is this your playlist pick? It could very well be. I haven't settled on one yet, but we'll have to find out. I like this song a lot, mostly because of the interplay like between their vocals. This is an instance where they each kind of pick a different part and sing it simultaneously, especially later in the song. And I think that's a lot of fun. This song was written by Oates, by the way. This is a John Oates cut. And I really love the guitar part. Sorry, I said it again. I say it every episode. It's fine. Just the way that he's structured it to walk down with the bass notes. That right-handed guitar part. That right-handed, left-handed guitar part is superb. Let me ask you a question. Go ahead. Were you ever so in love you couldn't wait to get to sleep and dream about the one that you wish was right there beside you? Yeah. Well, that is exactly then how Oates feels. You can relate. First time I tasted a turkey club sandwich. You tasted a turkey club sandwich and then went to sleep and dreamed about another turkey club sandwich? Yeah, I couldn't wait to go to sleep so I could relive that memory. Yeah. I really love this song, too. Just the whole sentiment of, if I had known you better than I did the very first time I saw you, like if we had not met as strangers and could have just jumped headfirst into where we would eventually go, I would have told you I loved you so much sooner. Like, that's so cool. It's almost like the opposite of The Dance by Garth Brooks. Yeah. (laughs) Which is like, if I'd known that this was going to end poorly, I might have abandon it altogether but i'm glad i didn't because then i would have missed out on the good stuff like yeah this is the opposite this is like if i'd known how good it was going to turn out i would have gotten to the good way sooner i wouldn't have waited (laughs) call it luck call it fate call it a shame that we met so late and love so lightly boy i love that just this whole song is structured so fun the harmonies are excellent the multiple parts are great and i love that had i known you had i known you better than like, that's such a good melody. And they get into that little part at the end, the woe-woes. I actually preferred the had I known, had I known, had I known. Where they, like, walk down the had I known. Yeah, it's excellent. Very well could be my playlist pick. But if it gets beat out by anything, it's going to get beat out by the stewardess song. Mm. And Las Vegas 
turnaround. Is this where you think the magic ends? Is this the last good one? Absolutely not. Magic is as strong as ever. All right. Las Vegas Turnaround is the first of two songs written by both Daryl Hall and John Oates. Good, 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 good. You called them by their by their proper name. Yeah, of course. And once again, it's about that same Sarah that's the subject of their hit, Sarah Smile. But in this song, she's not smiling. She's a stewardess off on a turnaround flying gamblers to Las Vegas. Don't they often smile? Yeah, they do. And maybe she did smile. I don't know. But she's too busy flying gambling fools. I love the major seventh chords. Hit me with more of those all the time everywhere. I think this song has a lot of really fun moments too. First of all, saxophone solo. Heck yeah. Oh, I was waiting to get to that. I didn't want to jump right into the saxophone solo, but big fan. Oh, I I threw us right to it. I literally said first off. Well, I always am the one that's ready to jump right on the instrumentals. But uh, I wanted to give you a chance to talk about the beginning of the song before I jumped right to the end like I'm known to do. Yeah, it's really curious because so much of this album has kind of been bare bones acoustic guitars and stuff so far and like maybe yeah. some orchestral instruments here and there maybe a synth oh yeah the whiny horns at the beginning yeah the saxophone kind of sticks out like a sore thumb here like it's just so sudden and so good no i think it blended in perfectly i fit right in i, I it hit and i was like this is exactly what this song needed it was it truly was and i wonder if they thought of that or if that's like an the magic man himself or if that's like an rf martin contribution yeah i don't know i mean they said he knew all the places to put the instruments and stuff and clearly this is proof of that and there's all those moments too where we get to have fun choruses las vegas you know there's a little bit of a chant section turn around sometimes she's here and sometimes she can't be found turn around. i could just this is a whole song i love it and it like was just a minor hit for them i can't believe it it's so cool it's so well constructed and structured and put together and it's just a flight attendant longing for a different life a better life where she doesn't have to fly gambling fools to las vegas certified poetry she's here or halfway around the world i could cry and so i know i've got to pray for delays and for days till she's beside me pretty great and if i don't pick either of those for the playlist somehow it'll be because if had i known you better than and las vegas turned around escape me it'll be she's gone right yeah is it magic for you it's magic for me it's magic for me back to back we get both the songs written by both of them interestingly enough i mean she's gone by the numbers is without a doubt the biggest hit on this album but the song actually had to get a re-release before it broke through really the 1973 release was not successful and they had to redo it interesting mm-hmm and interesting enough too there was a little music video controversy <laughs> With She's Gone. Uh, I read that they had a lot of music video controversy. They made a lot of really weird music videos. Yeah, it seems like that was the case. And it's not like network television in the 1970s was necessarily the place most open to that. Yeah. But in this particular case, they made the video in 1976 upon the re-release of the song. But when they sent it to a TV station in Philadelphia, they got told, nope, sorry, we don't want to air that. Because John was in a sleeveless tux. And Daryl was wearing women's sandals, and I guess that was enough. How can you tell? Yeah, I don't know. Well, the sleeveless tux is an easy one. <laughs> you'll, you'll be able to tell because it looks like a tux, but he's got bare arms. Oh, oh. But the women's sandals bit, I don't. I haven't watched the music video. I don't know how pronounced it is. Maybe he steals them from a woman. Otherwise, I have no idea how you tell. But what if she was wearing man sandals? Oh, see? Yeah, I don't know. Either way. Don't be sexist, 1970s. <laughs> thankfully, they can't be anymore. It was weird. Weird times. But they did upload the video themselves in 2007 so you can go find it and watch it maybe we should and figure out why the heck philly didn't like it i really love 
in She's Gone, the flow of it, the way it starts so quiet and soft and anticipatory, and then we build and build and build, and then the chorus just like punches. By the time we get to the end, I mean, he's just yelling, She's Gone. It's one of the most sing-alongable songs on this album, and honestly, I can see why it's the most popular. Another spot where the saxophone comes in clutch, the like three and a half minute mark. Yeah, another swell saxophone solo and it's it's another instance where it's exactly what this song needs i think yeah because we hit that big saxophone moment and then back it back down to almost beginning of the song levels to build back up to another exploding chorus yep one thing i love on this track that they do a lot is they double track kind of the vocal where one sings the lower octave and one takes the higher falsetto octave yeah i think that works really really well together it really works well with their voices this almost has like a gospel-y style to it on the She's Gone. Hmm. To me, it just sounds like a gospel choir singing together. Like that kind of layered effect. Yeah, certainly a lot of voices in there. And a key change, too. Yep. We've got some rare instances of key changes in popular music, and this is one of them. Love it. I mean, it goes through a couple steps there late in the song. Yeah. Oh, man, it's a blast. And then we get to the end of side one with I'm Just a Kid... Don't Make Me Feel Like a Man, written by John Oates once again. Still magic for you? Still magic for me, lesser so, I think. I'm just a kid, don't make me feel like a man. This is where we part ways. The magic has ended for me. Well, I would agree with that, except I think Abandoned Luncheonette also brings magic. And so I'm hesitant to say that it full stops here. Well, I think the magic, because the, the argument was that this was the magic half. I think the magic has ended, but it can come back. Okay, sure. Yeah, there's a track I would switch with I'm Just a Kid if you were trying to make the first half completely magic. Hmm, okay. I guess we'll figure out what that is. But I'm Just a Kid Don't Make Me Feel Like a Man is up first. I also thought it was interesting that Hall is the one that called this first half magic when he had one solo cut, and then, I mean, we had two by Oates, right? And then two by both of them. Oates was the main songwriter from what I've understood. Yeah, well, but I mean, to look at the back half, spoiler alert, Abandoned Luncheonette's written by Hall. Lady Rain's written by both. I guess there are three written by both. Oops. Oh, well, I've been wrong this whole time. Laughing Boy was written by Hall. And every time I look at you, was written by Hall. Hmm. So three out of four on the back half, he wrote. And yet he's like that first half, though. Listen to that, which is cool. Maybe it's that distance from the work. I'm going to get a restraining order against the guy who wrote that magic half someday. <laughs> someday I'm, I'll get him back for this. <laughs> yeah, his half is better than mine, and I'm forever jealous. I don't think that's really how it works. I don't think that's the dynamic of Daryl Hall and John Oates, but still. I like the concept of this song. Yeah. I like the like the lyrics. Like, I'm just a kid. Don't make me feel like a man. That's a good concept for a song. Mm-hmm. Lyrically, it's it's a pretty light song. Like, there's just not a lot of lyrics in it. I don't like the staccato-y vocals that he does. This on the is that kind of how he hits the lyrics. Yeah. I prefer their more mellowed out stuff. It's true. What I don't like about this song is the verses. Yeah. I think the chorus, will you survive, learn to drive, that's great. Yeah, the chorus is good. And it's that harmony again that really sells it for me. Yep, and the instruments in the chorus come together really well, but they're kind of lacking on the verses. Yeah, but I do love that kind of double step at the end. Like, darn you, talk to me. Like, that is really cool, where they just kind of lean into it a little heavier and give it a little bit more of an edge. Sure. But for the most part, the song is very, like, rounded out. No sharp corners on this one. Maybe one corner didn't quite get filed down as much as the other three, but I wouldn't call it sharp. One dull corner remaining. I'm just a kid. Don't make me feel like a man. 
I suspected you'd lose the magic at that part, and I think that's reasonable. But still, once again, very listenable song. And that's side one. Side two of the record features a lot of input from guitarist Chris Bond, who was really, really big into the Beatles and that kind of style. Yeah, okay, so I was literally just about to say that I predicted Abandoned Luncheonette would be your favorite song because it sounds the most like a Beatles song. (laughs) Really? That's interesting and accurate, I think. Well... I mean, this Chris Bond, he loved the Beatles, didn't exactly click with the rest of the duo's ideas and ambitions. Hall said, side two, if I could change anything, I would just get rid of all that crap and let the songs be the songs. So he wasn't too into the Beatle-y thing either, which is another maybe a factor in why this side was less magical for him. Abandoned Luncheonette is one of my favorite songs on the album. I don't know if I'd go as far to say it is my favorite, but it is so interesting because this one, what a world-building song, (laughs) right? It obviously is strong enough to be a title track. It tells the story through time, like across time. They go to this abandoned luncheonette and reminisce. Suddenly, you know, we flash back to when the diner was a baby and he's washing dishes in the back and they meet and they kind of fall in love. Day to day, they they get old, their lives waste away. And as they do, the diner aging, you know, where they met, getting old and decrepit and thrown in the woods and eventually burned. It like, it represents that process is just the relationship growing and changing. And man, it's just so cool. I love that imagery and that parallelism with the story they're trying to tell. There was a moment of buffoonery for me in the lyrics. Yeah. Is it the end? No. Oh, okay. What part was buffoonish for you? Uh, It pulled me right out of the song when I heard the line, she was 20 when the diner was a baby. He was a dishwasher busy in the back, his hands covered with gravy. I was like, really? (laughs) Covered with gravy is what you chose to do there? Yeah. No, you're right. I guess. That is a weird one. It just instantly pulled me out of the song. I just, he's in the grit and the muck and the, he's working a dirty job. Really? That pulled me out of the song all the way up until like the two minute mark when the saxophone came back. Okay. Well, as long as you got pulled back in. I like the way that the song, it's like musical movements shift with the parts of the story. You know, the beginning is kind of this frank, very matter of fact. They sat in an abandoned luncheonette, like very staccato, like you said, and upbeat. And then we kind of get a little more of that saxophone horn style stuff when, when the diner was a baby as we are back in time. Gets a little more color and vibrancy to it. And then as we move forward, you know, as time moves on day to day and day to day, the entire texture of the song shifts along with it month to month year to year they all run together as we move through that section of the song and the last part of the song and the end part of the song kind of run together too certainly i like it a lot it's in my top three i think four top four five top nine (laughs) it's somewhere in there but does it bring the magic back for you at all uh no this is not the one I would consider magic. Wow. I mean, it's a good song. I just wouldn't consider it magic. Sure. Uh, fair enough. Was it Lady Rain? I really enjoyed Lady Rain. Lady Rain. I think Rain. this is what I would have put as track five instead of I'm Just a Kid. I think it's got such a unique style to it. It's like almost Hollow Notes does rock. <laughs> Which is what they do a lot. <laughs> but, you know, I get it. I get it. Well, yeah. But, I mean, on this album, it's not what they did a lot. No. <laughs> This is like a preview into what was to come. Yeah. I really like the way they've done that string. Is it a mandolin, I think, or a guitar with a really, really high capo one? I don't know. Very high stringed instrument. I like it a lot. I didn't think it was a guitar, but I guess it could be. I don't think it is either. But whatever it is, is working for him. Play the rain. 
and it's personifying nature once again. Heck yeah. We've had nature imagery before, way back on when the morning comes. And Love some good personification. Right? I know. And he's just asking the rain, am I going to be going down in pain? Just lay your head down on my shoulder. Tell me more, rain. It's a very cloudy kind of song. Well, dare I say, I think it's an overlookable song that shouldn't be. That makes sense? Mm. It's not the most popular track on the album. I think it's easy just to kind of breeze past it, but it shouldn't be. What do you think about the end? Sorry. Is it a little repetitive? It is one of the longer songs on this album. It is one of the longer songs, and it's one of the more repetitive songs. It's just so catchy. I, I liked the beat to this one a lot. Yeah. And they broke it up with like some good instrumentals somewhere in there midway through. And the ending maybe went on one or two too many times, but I forgive it. That's a sacrifice I'm willing to let it make. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. You know, I think uh, according to the beloved Spotify plays, a lot of people might consider Lady Rain the last remaining bit of magic on this album. We kind of got a steep drop-off for the last two tracks after that. Yeah. Hey, it may be a laughing boy, but the fans weren't laughing. No, I guess not. What did you think about laughing boy? I thought, so this is also why I felt like I'm just a kid. Swapping with Lady Rain would be good, because then you go from I'm just a kid, don't make me feel like a man, to laughing boy, which I feel like those two songs would be a good pair. Yeah, maybe. I think Laughing Boy is probably track nine of nine for me. I would say yeah. it's not too much of a stretch to call this my least favorite. And it's kind of just broken into like two clumps of verse. It's so interesting. And here's the other thing that's weird about Laughing Boy, piano ballad. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of feels outside of the flow of this album. That's why it's not a nine for you. No guitar. Well, maybe. <laughs> Didn't think about it that way. Certainly, maybe. Uh, I'd actually probably call it eight of nine. Eight of nine. Wow. Yeah, and we'll talk about why when we get to the next track. Is this the next track, the one that's below it? Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's so backwards. Well, Laughing Boy, I like the concept of it. You know, he's talking to this boy that seems to be happy on the outside, but he knows he really, he knows his laugh's a lie. What's eight out of nine for you then? Eight out of nine for me. I'm going to have to go through this whole album and put them in order, aren't I? I'm just saying, if you were so against even the idea of every time I look at you being anywhere near Laughing Boy, something else has to go near it. And you called half this album magic, so it leaves you with very few options. I know, I know. Hey, I didn't do that. Daryl Hall did that. I just repeated it and agree. You just agreed. (laughs) I think... Lady Rain would be eight of nine. Really? I think it'd be Laughing Boy, Lady Rain, maybe then I'm just a kid, don't make me feel like a man, then every time I look at you, or swap those around. I'm not quite sure. Well, dang. Every time I look at you is up next. Oh, I thought you were about to say, like, make it into a pun about something that happens every time you look at me, because now that you Uh, were disappointed by how I ranked the songs. uh Oh. But you didn't. You just just straight hard transitioned it. (laughs) My bad. Hey, I can do better. Okay. Well. Well, dang. Every time I look at you now... I won't be a laughing boy. <laughs> well, that's sad. I'm a, I'm back to being an abandoned luncheonette. It's just it's just me. Time measured by peeling of paint on Connor. Yeah. I really like the funk sensibilities of every time I look at you. Yeah. There's some wah wah pedals going on. A little more up tempo. However, okay. Point against it. It is a seven minute song. Yeah. On an album that probably shouldn't have any seven minute songs. Correct. It overstayed its welcome, which is why it's not a nine. But ah. Uh, but the jams and the breakdowns. I was over it by then. 
I was ready to wind this album down with a nice closer that fit the style, the nice easy listening style, and then it just kept wanting to break down and never end. It's it's like that guest at the party that like you you're trying to usher out the door. You keep edging them closer towards the doors. They just keep talking and talking, and you can't get them out. You just want to go to bed, <laughs> and they won't leave. Yeah, honestly, that's a good analogy. I'm full of good analogies. Go find me one analogy on this podcast that isn't good. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting way to feel about this song, and I can't fault you for that. I like it a lot. I really like "Baby's Goodbye" at the end into that big breakdown to like a kind of country style banjo jam at the end that's a weird one right that's that's new a new flavor for this album at the 11th hour i don't want new flavors i want to go to bed get out of my living room hall and oates hey daryl hall and john oates yeah well maybe i'd be more respectful to what they want to be called if they weren't keeping me up past my bedtime (laughs) (laughs) okay sure (laughs) well yeah that is every time i look at you that, that's going to cover the whole album. Yeah. Easy listen. Quick nine tracks. I, I love that so much. And honestly, I could listen to this album cover to cover anytime. I'm anticipating top 50 from you with this one, with how much you've been praising it. Oh, really? Definitely top 100. Maybe not top 50. Maybe that was a bit ambitious. But definitely top 100. That is a bit ambitious. Okay, well, let's get into Final Spin. And you can find out exactly what to expect. As for me... Can you really say as for me if I haven't gone yet? Usually I'm the one that says as for me because you've already given a score. You're kind of the as in this as for me. Fair enough. My scores... When the music on this album is good, I think it's really good. I think it's so strong. On so much of that first half, magic. Bonafide, certified magic. Las Vegas Turnaround comes to mind. Had I Known You Better Then comes to mind. I mean, even something like Lady Rain comes to mind. Abandoned Lunch Net, strong spot for the music. I'm giving it an 84. I feel like Laughing Boy, I'm Just a Kid, Don't Make Me Feel Like a Man. There's a couple moments that really slow me down and and loop me around the loop, especially on verses in some of those instances. Every song has like a good musical moment, right? You'll find a silver lining in everything that maybe is a cloud. But it's an 84 for music for me. Lyrically, it's not bad. I mean, there's some hands covered in gravy moments. But a lot of these songs, they're centered on a specific moment, a specific emotion. And I think they execute those well. I kind of wish these songs had more movement, like Abandoned Luncheonette that has that passage of time. A lot of these songs kind of feel stuck in one place or one instant, except maybe Las Vegas Turnaround. And they're not all bad, but lyrically I'm giving it a 79. Instruments of production, 77. This album feels a little quiet to me. I think some of the songs could use a little touch-up, production-wise. Instrumentally, mostly it's pretty good. Some weird spots, like just a song that's all piano, kind of strange, right? Doesn't quite mesh with the rest of them in the same way. But hey, saxophone solos. But overall, the vibe, I really, I adore this album. It's so much fun. I like the fact that it's mostly deep cuts. You know, there's not really a huge hollow notes hit here, and I think that's really cool. Giving it an 85 there, which means its overall score is an 83, and it's number 389 on my rankings. Way lower than I thought it would be. Kind of a far cry from what you thought, yeah. When you said 84 for music, I was like, man, he did nothing but talk about how great the music was. I was surprised. Yeah. No, it's true. I think that's an instance of me separating maybe how much I like the album from like where I think it should be scored mm, okay. in the grand scheme of things. I don't know. What about you? As for me. Okay, you could say it. Yeah. I actually enjoyed this album maybe more than I thought I would. That's kind of what I was hoping. Considering I didn't recognize any of the songs going into it, really. Again, I was surprised that none of the Hall Notes songs I knew were on it. And 
doesn't necessarily sound a lot like the songs I didn't know. Like I said, this was kind of earlier in their career. Mm-hmm. Album two out of 18. But I quite enjoyed it. Do I get all my picks? I don't think I do, right? Do I? No, you picked too much from Florence. I thought I picked too much from Florence. But who can blame you? Yeah. this That was your ship to wreck. So my top three in album order... When the morning comes. Oh, interesting. Las Vegas turnaround. Oh, heck yeah. Wow, had I known you better then, it's not making the cut. If I had known it better back when we did Florence and the Machine, maybe it would (laughs) have. Maybe it might have. Who knew? She's gone. Gotta learn how to face that. And Lady Rain. You're eight of nine. Wow. Yeah, that's weird. Interesting picks. Two of those wouldn't be in my tops. Actually, I mean, as for, like, I was thinking about a playlist pick, because this is one I wasn't just going to wing, right? I wanted to be sure, as sure as I could be, that I, like, had a good pick. I narrowed it down to, like, four. And I was like, I'd be okay with these on the playlist. So it's kind of like my top three a little bit. But mine includes, had I known you better than Las Vegas Turnaround, She's Gone, and Abandoned Luncheonette. I think I'm going to pick Lady Rain for the playlist. Really? I really enjoyed it. Probably because it was the closest to what I was expecting and having heard some of their other stuff. Was it really? I don't don't know. I feel like it's not close to what I expect from them much at all. Oh, I I like their rockier stuff. Okay. Is it going to be one that you're taking absolutely and using that veto override, perhaps? Are you going to veto it? I don't know. You have to have good reason to veto my pick. You don't just get to veto it because you don't like it. I know. <laughs> I know. It was my eight of nine. It's it's low. Uh, but not that it's a bad song. But that makes my pick super stupid hard. What are you going to pick? And maybe I can be negotiated. Oh, I mean, if I only get one, it has to be Las Vegas Turnaround. And what do you want your other one to be? <sighs> I'm in an interesting spot here. I think... If Las Vegas Turnaround makes the playlist, I would want She's Gone there. But fine. I also. Oh, cool. She's Gone the other one I want. I like Lady Rain and She's Gone best as my top two. But since Las Vegas Turnaround was also in my top three, I'll switch to those two. Okay. Well, cool. Thanks. Especially because I snuck a fourth a honorable mention in there and you didn't notice. No, I did notice. I just chose not to say anything. <laughs> I, figured... <laughs> I thought I could sneak it past you, darn it. <laughs> I was counting on my fingers and oh. I just let you go to four. But I also just was really impressed with your joke about how I known had I known you better than better when we listened to Florence and the Machine I was like hmm, that was good yeah and my score but what's the big deal what's that score want to know if Hollow Notes is a winner if we maintain the skid breaking tendency oh uh, what's it gotta get to be a skid breaker I don't know uh high seven plus high seven plus well then definitely a skid breaker good this one's gonna get eight legal battles out of ten. Eight, solid actually not a surprise to me, I think. That's about where I would have expected, maybe. Do you think another Hollow Notes album could have done better, based on what you know? Maybe. Maybe, maybe not, who knows. So you got a lot of eights at this point. Where in your eights do you think this ends up? I believe eight is your second most popular ranking. You pick a lot of good stuff, you don't give me as much bad stuff. I try not to. I'd love to have more twos and threes on the list, but you refuse to pick them. <laughs> well, we'll see. This one's gonna go right below yes. Right below yes. That's a pretty low eight, but okay. Yeah. Well, you only wanted a high seven or better, so... I know. <laughs> That's interesting. I think this compares very kind of nicely to Yes in a lot of ways. I think 
the reason it's there is again you talked about how your score was lower because you were separating how much you liked it from what it deserved ranking was sure and i kind of did the opposite if i was basing it off of how much i'm going to re-listen to it it'd be way lower but i am recognizing that off of my one list i quite enjoyed it and feel bad giving it too low of a score just because i won't be returning as much because it's not my go-to genre so even though it's barry manilow-esque for it to get better than like a mid eight it has to be something i'm gonna be there has to be some songs I'm going to be putting on my playlist and coming back to. Okay. Bottom of my eights, tops of my sevens are the where I kind of tend to put ones that like I enjoyed off of my listens and can recognize that they're a good album, but don't necessarily want to return to. Wow, but I'm surprised by that. You compared it to Barry Manilow. Your pick. I compared their sound. I mean, it's obviously different. <laughs> I didn't compare their their goodness, just their sound. <laughs> sure. They could be a bad Barry Manilow, I mean. <laughs> yeah, but to call it not your like style or your genre, I don't know how that tracks. Barry Manilow's a little more on the pop. This is a little more. It's just a little more on the rock. Yeah. yeah. It'd be like if we'd only done Drive by Alan Jackson was like the only country song we'd done. And then you brought me another country artist. I went, oh, the closest we've done on this podcast is Alan Jackson. But then like I give it a two because it's a bad country album. Like I was just comparing it to what we've done on the podcast though sure but yeah certainly not complaining about an eight <laughs> after the kind of stretch we've been on lately. So eight legal battles approximately probably they've probably been in at least that i mean we talked about we've got granola right that's one two with each other so that's three two at least two with each other i'm sure there's more and the one with the the luncheonette guy yep four four. it's halfway there already and there's two of them one with daryl hall and one with john oates double it that's eight there you go we did it i don't think that math quite checks out anyway there you go that's an episode if you want more episodes you can listen wherever you get your podcasts including right here right now you can also find us on our Instagram at SpinItPod Official, our X at SpinItPod. But the best place to find us is our website, www.spinitpod.com. SpinItPod.com. I really feel like 2024 is the year we should drop the www. Absolutely not. They know. It's implied. Never. Mainly because I can say it correctly and you can't. I do. I often <laughs> forget a W, but it's fine. This is episode 131, which means a blooper reel just came out. Did it? For episodes 120 through 130. Yeah. I know. You can find that on our website, www.spinitpod.com. We just also released Alan Jackson's bonus content a couple weeks ago. Available on all of our socials and website, www.spinitpod.com. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Next week, we are going country again. So, you know, the most recent thing we've done kind of like it will have been Alan Jackson. Kind of apt that you use that as a metaphor. There you go. We'll see how it goes. It's the newest country we've gone in a while. But until that episode comes out on our website, www.spinapod.com. Oh, my gosh. You You know know what what to to do. do. Keep Keep spinning. spinning. What do you think is the most egregious thing people have just discarded in the woods? I mean, a luncheonette is, is pretty bad. That's huge and hard to do. I mean fire fire what i'm just thinking of uh was it johnny cash who almost extincted a bird because he caused a fire in a forest oh yeah because he left his rv yeah. there and it caught it on fire yeah. you're right the condor condor he almost took out the condors that was pretty egregious dead bodies are pretty egregious although dead bodies aren't egregious to nature because they just decompose but it's a pretty bad thing to leave in the forest yeah, true. It's also a lot smaller than a luncheonette, though. Oh, it has to be... Yeah, 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 yeah that's true. Well, it's just I'm thinking, like, if you're walking through the woods, what is the most surprising thing to find that someone has discarded? Ancient civilization. Mm. They just left the whole... They just left the whole city. Yeah, that would be big. Like Atlantis <laughs> out in the, in the Philadelphia woods. So irresponsible. Why not? Maybe a doomsday bunker. Oh. With a hall full of oats. <laughs> www.spanpod.com. <laughs>